0: As always, we're going to start off with the Albert Einstein quote, which is the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. You always have the ability to change. You do not have to stick with the same habits. You are a collection of habits, whether you like it, know it or not, you are doing certain habits, you are doing certain things, taking certain actions, and as a result, are getting certain results. And if you're questioning some of these results, if you're questioning some of these habits, you have to look at the results. Really, I think first, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in theories of habits and theories of behavior. But as I've touched on a couple times, I'm focusing on what are the actual net results of doing the things that you're saying that you do. Are you actually practicing what you preach or are you just saying a whole bunch of stuff that you read in a bunch of self-help books and you're just kind of amalgamating them together to create the sales pitch for who you are and what you do? That's not enough because you haven't even convinced yourself if that's the case. You haven't fully embraced this message. You're using these things actually to validate your own bad behavior, and that is why I think that every principle out there can be a double-edged sword. That's why we're doing this series, as I call it, kind of the anti-habits of highly effective people in terms of how are people doing them wrong? What are the examples of people doing the habit completely wrong? And then what are examples of someone interpreting the habit in a way that just allows them to, well, in a very elaborate mental gymnastic way, validate the habits they're already doing, to validate the negativity that they're willingly taking part in. So for anybody that feels like they're in that situation, for anybody that feels like they're getting called out right now, I hope you do feel that way. I hope you wake up. Because there's a lot of people that care about you. And you should not underrate that. You should not underrate your circle of influence. You should not ignore the fact that your actions have consequences. And you should not do, as an example, misinterpret the circle of control and just say, When you do something crappy, you just throw it in somebody else's face. Oh, well, you have control of your behavior. You have a choice to react in this way. Well, humans are going to naturally choose to associate with people that they like, that truly help them and don't bring harm to the people that they care about. That's part of our freedom of choice. And... In that freedom of choice doesn't mean that I'm validated in lashing out that doesn't mean that anybody is validated in doing so in that way but you can't get delusion you can't become deluded and just assume that you get to just throw that at somebody else when you've done something bad and say oh they they're just they should just control themselves you should have controlled yourself you didn't that's why you're in this mess. So for anybody who feels like they're in that situation, you have to understand that these habits, they're used in different ways. Everybody's using different principles, different habits in different ways. A very clear example of that is if you go to a presentation, like if you go to a Tony Robbins event or a you know Franklin Covey event, What exactly is the takeaway for everybody there? Is it going to be the same thing? Absolutely not. Are some people going to use the information? Yes and no. Some people are just going to completely ignore it. And then as we talked about with that circle of influence and control, you have to make sure that you're also paying attention to it. And last week we talked about being proactive. Being proactive means taking... Honest, positive action towards your goals and the things that actually matter to you. You're not going to do anything or get anywhere sitting on the couch, binging Netflix every single day. Nobody remembers boring people who do nothing, especially not boring people who do nothing. You're not reading stories about people that are doing that. You're reading stories about people that got up and did a bunch of cool stuff. Why is that? Why is that what you're interested in? And with being proactive, as we talked about, you don't want to get to a point where you're literally burning yourself out or you're just looking for activity for the sake of activity. They have to be connected to your actual goals And you cannot, in that process, sabotage Habit 7, which is sharpen the saw. As I see a lot of people who are very proactive, they're very business-oriented, they can be very successful, but in private, they're not doing so well. I don't want to be the successful person who's miserable any more than I'd want to be poor and miserable. I want success in both avenues. And in my mind, my priority is the personal success. If I could have absolute peace of mind and have all my needs taken care of, but I'm poor, I'm at peace with that. If that's the situation, I could be at peace with that. But that's not exactly what I want as a whole because I have the opportunity to build wealth too, and there are things that I want that wealth can get to, I'm going to pursue those things. I have the ability to do so, but I'm not going to make that my absolute connection to my personal peace of mind. So, our second habit is begin with the end in mind. This is the goal habit. This is the habit that establishes why are you even doing any of this stuff in the first place? Why are you getting out of bed in the morning? Why are you eating breakfast? Why are you getting in the car and going to commute to work? You know, a lot of people get caught up in the point of stuff. People get very philosophical um, and they say, you know, "What's what's the point of life? You know, that's a question, but I don't know if it's being asked the right way. If you do ask me, I think we're all supposed to find out our own purpose and our own reason for being here, and that's part of the freedom that we're given. But once we get back, we're going to go into detail of some of those pitfalls and issues that come when we begin in the end with the end in mind, but we don't really keep track of exactly what that's supposed to mean in the best way. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back after the break. I'm your host, Trevor Davis.
1: If you have money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account,
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, lead. And we're going to go ahead and get back into the second part of the seven habits of highly affected people. Um, As we're going through this, we're looking at some of the challenges that come from interpreting these principles and making sure we're not using them to validate our pre-existing BS. Because as it turns out, humans are clever. We're all very smart. We're all very, very clever when it comes to protecting ourselves. That is the survival brain on overdrive when we're looking at something that should otherwise be breaking us out of our nonsense. Because the survival brain is not only here to make sure that we get everything that we need on a daily basis to make it to the end of the day, but it's also there to protect our ego. It's also there to make sure we don't feel insecure, to make sure we don't look weak to other people. You know, We don't feel like we're dripping blood in the water and then we're going to get surrounded by the sharks that know exactly when to jump on those opportunities and take advantage of us. We don't want to seem a way that we're not. And we probably, through our ego, want to appear much stronger, more wealthy, more capable than we really are, which causes us to have a skewed perception of ourselves when we're too attached to the ego itself. You know, your ego is not going to really let you take an objective look at yourself. And... I think a lot of people are going to have a knee-jerk reaction to that and say, well, why would I want to do that? I don't want to beat myself up. I don't want to stare at all my negativities. I don't, I don't want to treat myself poorly, and remind myself of the things I don't like about myself. Well, that is exactly the negative type of interpretation we're trying to avoid in this whole discussion. Because if you actually took an objective look at yourself, you're going to see that there is a lot of very good things going on. No person is going to make it to the point where they can be in their vehicle or be sitting at home or sitting at work lunch um, like possibly a lot of people are now, and you may be right now. You know, you've done a whole bunch of stuff very, very correctly, and your skills and your talents have undoubtedly contributed to the fact that you're able to provide for yourself through the work that you do that allows you to get the money you need to buy the groceries, buy your housing, and then do the fun stuff that you like to do as well. So we get very, very stuck on the negativity because it's sort of like the patch of dirt on the wedding dress. That we talk about that comes out of Covey as well. Because if you're going to see, you know, a perfect, immaculate, solid white wedding dress. And then there's just one patch of dirt at the bottom. You know, they had to walk through a little muddy patch. And she accidentally stepped down a little too hard. And there's just one little brown patch of dirt. That's the first thing you're going to notice. And then... We don't seem to be able to even account for the fact that 99.99% of the dress is perfectly flawless. Like, yeah, we need to solve that if we want to have the quote unquote perfect dress, Um, wash it off, um, you know, brush it off. Maybe if if it's not that big of a deal, maybe cover it up with a little bit of white fabric. You got to fix the problem. Our survival brain is very good at identifying problems, but... As technology has advanced much faster than we have evolved as people, we have not been able to necessarily adjust well. I mean, when the technology has outpaced us, you know, we've got this heavy-duty survival brain that's really optimized for living more or less in the wild. I mean, about 10,000 years ago, 10, 12,000 years ago, when we started to really settle down in certain spots... Um, in the modern-day Middle East. You know, that was new. That was novel. And we're smart enough to be able to do that, but our bodies and our brains are still adapted to being in survival mode almost all the time. That's the default state of being a person. It's only the year 2023. We've only evolved for so long, and our survival brain is going into overdrive. So we cannot underrate how risky that part of our brain is to when we're trying to interpret things that could otherwise provide substantial change. Because the survival brain wants us to survive, and it also wants to validate whatever BS we're doing, even if it's completely objective BS and other people can agree with that, across the board, across the planet, we're going to have a lot of resistance. But as Einstein said, the intelligence is the ability to change. You have to resist that. You have to do something different. You have to get over your ego-based BS. You have to get over the fact that a lot of things happened that you did not want to happen. You have to be able to move forward in a constructive way or else you're going to be doing the same stuff and you're going to be getting the same results. When Stephen Covey starts, begin with the end in mind, he's talking about Imagine going to a funeral, and if you've been to a funeral recently, for most situations, and this is very different for a lot of different cultures, but most of the time here in the U.S., and I've only been to one funeral in my life so far, and it was a sad event. It's literally one of the most traumatic things that I've experienced as a younger kid because it was so scary to me. It was terrifying to me. Um, seeing a dead body in person for the first time was horrible. But what we're talking about at this funeral is that instead when you walk up to the open casket, you don't see somebody else. You see yourself. And four speakers are coming up. They're going to talk about your life and what they thought about you and what you did. At its most vulnerable to the human mind, we're talking about what are you going to want them to say at the very end of your life, and you can't do anything else, you've passed on. What kind of person do you want to have been? What kind of person do you want people to talk like? What kind of people do you want to be speaking at your funeral? You know, you're going to be attracting a certain type of person. So, what, what, Are these people, what are they like? So what are they going to say about you at work, in your charity efforts, with your family, with your friends? What exactly is it that you want to actually leave behind for the billions of people that are going to still be here when you pass away? Because everything has a very significant ripple effect. It's very hard for us to account for this too, how our actions have consequences. Some situations it's more obvious, but we seem to lose track of how long-term everything we do is. What consequences do you want by the time you pass away? What are the results you want by the the time that rolls around? What is truly significant to you? And I'm going to give this quote because as I was reviewing um, chapter 2, Habit 2, to discuss it today, this is is definitely going to be one of my favorite lines. Um, What Stephen Covey says is by keeping that end clearly in mind— you can make certain that whatever you do on any particular day does not violate the criteria you have defined as supremely important and that each day of your life contributes in a meaningful way to the vision you have of your life as a whole. So let's think about some of the mistakes that we've made in our lives. And to contextualize this, Through nonviolent communication by Michael Rosenberg, which I'm recommending to everybody to read as well, he says that nonviolent communication starts with how you speak to yourself. You know, we just talked about someone beating themselves up when they say, Take, when I said, Take an objective look at yourself. Well, with part of that, you need to look at what you're doing right. But also with part of that, you need to understand that everybody has made mistakes, you're no exception. You have to find a way to actually forgive yourself for the bad crap that you've done. You cannot continue to beat yourself up on a daily basis for this stuff um, because that's what's starting off with your approach to other people. When you cannot talk to yourself well, you can't talk to other people well. That's not really possible. They're going to sense something is off. They're not going to be opening up themselves to your message because they can see that there's something going on that they don't like. So when we have taken actions, you know, we need to forgive ourselves. But moving forward with begin with the end in mind, we have to keep in mind when we're making decisions, how is that directly connected to our values? And if the actions that we're taking Violate our values, we know that those are not the actions that we want. If you're going to say, I want to build up wealth, I want to build up a million dollars, and I want to have a million dollars in my savings account, but you're going to take action on a daily basis that doesn't get you to that goal because you sit around and binge Netflix all day, that is a violation of beginning with the end in mind. You have to stay in touch with your values to take actions that actually make those values a reality we're at the halfway point folks i'm trevor davis your host we will be right back with the total wealth academy radio show stay tuned All right, everybody. We are back, the halfway point with the TWA Wednesday radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, and as always, we're going to do our stock update. So, it's the year to date. As always, we're going to do Dow Jones, S and P 500, Nasdaq first, and these are three of the most major stock indices. So this is why I use them. Um, I've used them for the past, I mean, goodness, year and a half. Um. I didn't pick them for any particular reason other than they're the three that came to my mind first when I thought about doing this you know, update every week to give a just assessment of what's going on in the stock market through my lens. So Dow Jones year-to-date is at 2.57%. With the losses from last year, it's now at negative 6.21. S&P is at 15.39%. With last year's losses, it's at negative 2.72%. NASDAQ is at 38.23% year-to-date, and then with last year's losses, it's now netted 5.26%. So when you hack off 3% inflation, you've netted 2.26% for the average NASDAQ investor, which like across the board, they've invested for years, and they just deal with the ups and downs, and they don't do the shorts, the crazy risky short stuff. That you probably saw in The Big Short about the 2008 nine crash. Um, some people do that. You know, knock yourself out if you're good at that. That's not the risk I'm willing to take. That's not the asset I'm wanting to work on and manage. And I don't. Above all, I don't want to. I don't want to be you know inundated with news and stock information every day with people that are all running like chickens with their heads cut off about what's going to happen to the market, what's going to happen in the market, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. What's going on. I, that, that is way too far out of my circle of control. That is way too far in the circle of concern. I don't want, I'm not interested in that. I mean, once I understood the rates of return actual in the stock market in high school, I was no longer interested and have not taken part except for last year when I decided to put a little bit in for fun um, with my Chase account. And ended up grossing 10%, which I guess was kind of good. But again, if it hadn't worked out, I didn't have any control of that. And what happens to a lot of people is that they have so little control. And they start getting to a point where they lose money. Talk to people that have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in 2022. And simply with the amount of time since the last major crash, I'm not comfortable with anybody who's just keeping their money willy nilly in the stock market at this point. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't crystal ball. I can't really provide that information. No one really can, maybe unless you're at the Fed. I will do my best to try and get some from the Fed on this show but that's going to be a pretty tricky endeavor. And I highly doubt they're going to be capable of saying anything that's not already the Fed's public policy line. They're not going to be going out of their way to give us a true insight that could truly prevent us from losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, again, like those folks in 2022. So back to begin with the end in mind. What is it that you want people to say about you at your funeral or celebration of life because that that's what I would want. Um, I would definitely want to do something like they do in new Orleans and Louisiana where it's, you know, it's like a big old party and then cremate me. And that's that I lived my life. I lived it the way I wanted. I was brave. I did a lot of things that scared the crap out of me, even though it was scary but it was something that I wanted to do, so I did it anyway. That's one of the things that I want to stand for and have people understand about my character so that can teach other people and that can help humanity move in a positive direction instead of the wrong direction. Let's also, with that too, a pitfall I see is that if you get too morbid about it, you know, this isn't just about saying what they're going to say at your deathbed. It's about what they're saying about you now. The future is the future, the past is the past, and the present is all you have. So with that too, let's not fall into that trap of overly focusing on that long term. What do you want to do now to make that big goal a reality that is also connected to getting results now and in your modern the modern time, the present day. Because if you want to get to be that person that's always been considered friendly and helpful, you're going to have to be friendly and helpful today. It's not just some theory. It, it has to happen today. You have to do something different today if that's not what you're considered. You're going to have to do something that's going to make your survival brain start to drag you down. It's... If you feel like when you try to do something different that you lose energy, I feel like that is literally the survival brain shutting off like it's like if your body is like a power plant, it's like shutting off energy towards the the change module in your body. It's like, uh oh, I can see survival brains like I can see that you're trying to do something different. I can turn down the energy real quick. And then you start to feel a little weird about it and lower energy, and then you don't really want to do it anymore. I, I feel like that's what happens when I try to do certain changes. It's like an energy vampire sap. When I'm trying to do something, especially when it has to do with my long-term goals, there's like this nervousness, there's that fear, of course, but then there's like that also very sneaky thing that a lot of people, I mean, I haven't heard it discussed that you know, makes you feel like the wind's been knocked out of you. Like, oh, you know what? That just sounds like a lot of work. Why don't I just take a chill pill? Let me let me make today that chill day or this chill time. You know, I could always do that tomorrow. I can do that tomorrow. Sure, but the, the tomorrow is just going to end up being a new today. So you're going to have to do it today. Anyway. So do it today. Now, this was something very, very interesting. We're going to go over an example of poor goal setting. And this is going to, I'm going to say right off the bat, this is going to be a pretty tricky, touchy topic um, for a lot of folks. And it's also tricky and touchy because it involves an ongoing war. Um, That's been in low-grade war for decades now and a full-blast war as it came out um, last week. So beginning with the end in mind, if you're in a situation and you're in a war situation, your end in mind is going to have something to do with defending your country, defending your borders, and— getting the best results at the peace talk table. We're not going to get into the whole debate or discussion about war um, right now um, because that's just a huge, huge discussion. But Israel has been in this situation before. Back in the Yom Kippur War in 1973, um, they were caught with their pants down during Yom Kippur holiday, um, actually the s- same exact holiday that Hamash used to attack them now. So, we've seen a pattern. Your end goal as the Israeli military is to defend your borders. How are you going to make that a reality? This is an example of when that goal was somewhat lost and a disaster for the country was almost brought upon them. So after 1967, and this is, this is on, if y'all want to read this, this is on historycollection.com on an article called Poorly Thought Out Plans That Went Bad Very Quickly. So you can probably tell what I searched up to find some real life examples. But examples of poor planning. And this one is saying penny pinching brought Israel to the brink of disaster. In 1967, Six Day War, Israel defeated Egypt and seized the Sinai Peninsula. And now you're in a situation which is very different than today um, because the Sinai Peninsula is back to Egypt. Um, Egypt has effective full control of the Suez Canal. Um, One of the most absolutely busiest areas for ships on the planet. But there was a time when Israel controlled all of that. After all the countries decided to try and take over Israel again, all of its neighbors attacked and Israel effectively beat them all back in six days. Very, very impressive military strategy and very impressive planning that was in line with Israel's end in mind. But in 1973, things were a little bit different. In 1973, facing across from the Suez Canal, Israel had kind of gotten a little bit too comfortable. And what the Egyptians were doing under President Sadat was that they were playing to this situation. They had lost almost all of their air force in the Six-Day War. They wanted to take back the Sinai Peninsula, and they didn't have what they considered a good position at the bargaining table to make anything happen. So, like it or not, war sucks, But we're going to see a pretty distinct example of how one person's goal setting and planning for the long term wealth and health of their country had better results for one rather than the other in this particular continuing conflict, which has a lot to be discussed about in general. We'll be right back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. Y'all stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final segment of the TWA radio show. We are talking about a very volatile, um, very serious, and very divisive topic on the world stage, which is the um, Arab slash Palestinian Israeli conflict that continues to this day ever since Israel became its own proper country, which right from the bat started off with the war in 1948, which Israel won. And you see, Military success after military success um, from the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, that has allowed Israel to exist as a nation to this day. And to do something like that, and I feel like it's, you know, it is a sensitive topic because it's recent, but when we look at the brilliant strategies of someone like Napoleon or... George Washington, which is kind of funny because he was he had a lot of issues early on in the Revolutionary War and lost, um, I believe he actually ended up losing more battles than he won. But Napoleon in particular gets quoted as one of the most brilliant strategists of all time. And we know that when you're getting the results that you intend, you're doing something right. So we know that the Israeli forces have been very military successful militarily successful. In 1973, this was a bit of a script flipped and a very, very pretty severe lack of proper planning and goal setting in connection to defending their country. So what Egypt decided to do, having lost most of its air force, was that they decided to play a bit of a con game. They were doing military exercises on the west side of the Suez Canal. They were calling up reservists at different times to increase the presence of troops on their side. So, of course, you're going to have your agents and your spies, and everybody's got their spies everywhere. They're going to be reporting this. They're going to be like, okay, look, this is where they're, you know, doing these military activities. This is when. This is how many people are getting called in. And Egypt basically kept doing this on a consistent enough basis to where it started being very questionable if Egypt was even going to attack. Now, at this area, you have pretty substantial Israeli fortifications to prevent an Egyptian attack. But, like what just happened, so, get this. The Egyptians attacked October 6th 1973, Yom Kippur, 1973. So what has happened exactly 50 years later last week? Hamas attacks across the Gaza Strip invades Israel because of Yom Kippur, because of the holiday. So this is a position to where you don't have the luxury of holidays, You don't. Some people, okay, great, but when this has happened once, you know, shame on those. But when it happens twice, shame on you. How did you let this happen? It's pretty radical to consider the fact that with this exact example in this very similar type of situation where the Egyptians could have forced an invasion all the way to the capital. And as a different article I saw discussed, you know, it could have backfired spectacularly and caused their situation to get worse, but that's not what happened. So we don't even need to speculate about that. The gamble by the Egyptian President Sadat worked in this situation. And what this article is also addressing is the fact that he wasn't looking to conquer the territory back. He was actually just looking to get to the negotiating table. And as it turns out, with being in the middle of the Cold War, we've got... Us on one side and the Soviet Union on the other, sponsoring different different nations in different proxy war conflicts. And Egypt had effectively decided to pull away from the Soviet Union and start putting itself within the sphere of the United States, the U.S. camp. You know, the Soviets don't really like that, but they already have heavy connections with Egypt, so it wasn't really a complete washout for their associations, but it became this situation where, with that war situation, with the issues that were facing Israel as the invasion for Egypt was succeeding before the Israeli counterattack, he was able to get everybody to the negotiating table to actually get a solution between Egypt and Israel— that was not only in one side's favor. In that case, of course, he's going to want something that's not just in Israel's favor alone. He wants something that's favorable to his nation, to Egypt. You know, if you're going to be the leader of a country, the least you can do is advocate and fight for your people and for your nation. That is your responsibility. That is what you're there for. Man, that's a whole nother discussion in terms of how that starts to impact other nations and neighboring nations. But if you're in this situation where after the Six Day War in 1967 and you've lost a whole entire section of your country, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be looking at a way to get that back. And because of the deception that they enacted It wasn't even so much that they were so effective in how they made their plans on the military side, but it was also because of Israel's lack of planning and preparation. Because something happened 50 years ago. Something happened last week. Something didn't work both times. And thousands of people have paid with their lives for the lack of planning, for this lack of conscientiousness of what is the actual goal, what is this long-term situation that we're in, given what's really going on, how do we have to be prepared even during some of our most holiest celebrations? We can't keep getting caught in this situation every couple decades on the same holiday. What are you supposed to do differently moving forward? And obviously that's a whole whole can of worms. This is not designed to be an assessment about who's right, who's wrong what's going on in general, but just an example of what happens consequence-wise when you don't stay in touch with your goals, when you don't stay in touch with the fact that sometimes these situations are not what you want, sometimes you have to do things that you don't really want to do and be prepared in ways that are much more radical than you might have initially anticipated. So... Again, if you want to read this, it's four paragraphs on this website, historycollection.com. Amongst other things, poorly thought out plans that went bad very quickly. With the next example being what happened with the Hindenburg. As we know, the Hindenburg went up in flames. That wasn't great planning in terms of using hydrogen instead of helium. So plans have to be associated with the actual values that you stand for, what's more important, the defense of your nation or having a holiday, a holy day, celebrating for that? How do you prioritize the right thing? By identifying what's actually truly important to you. And that's a little bit of a sticky one right there because obviously what's really important is hanging out with your friends and family and having a great time But that's not the only thing that you have to do in that type of situation. You're also going to have to be prepared to keep stuff like this from happening again. With the end in mind, we're acting in accordance with our true long-term values instead of just whatever comes up in the moment. When we take actions that are out of line with our values we do stuff that feels good in the moment makes us happy in the moment but then the pleasure has gone and now we're dealing with the fallout of making the wrong decision the decision that was not truly in touch with our values be very very careful with things that feel good in the moment because those are often the things that get us very very detached from the things that actually feel good in the long run So pretty heavy discussion there at the end with the modern event going on. So I really, really hope that that was helpful when we talked about the second habit, folks. I will be back next Wednesday to continue with the third habit. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, and I will see you all next Wednesday. Take care.